0: America without our freedoms is like a body without a soul. The challenge
1: before the On the show today, we have a political activist, a former Marine, Adam Kokesh. Adam is the author of Freedom, a book he wrote while serving time for civil disobedience. How are you, Adam? Outstanding yourself. Where in California are you from?
0: Well, I was, I was born in San Francisco Children's Hospital, but I, I grew up in San Mateo, mostly the Bay Area on the peninsula, really typical American suburban middle class kind of
1: lifestyle. So I read that your grandfather was a World War II veteran. He was actually a pilot.
0: Yeah. Some of us aren't really good at learning from the mistakes of others, but we do learn.
1: We do. Learn. Did your grandfather inspire you to join the Marines?
0: Well, not, not quite. I mean, I never, I never knew my grandfather. He died before I was born, uh, at least my, my grandfather on my father's side. And he's the only other person in my family who, who I'm aware of who was in the military. Uh, so for me, joining the Marine Corps was, was really kind of stepping out on my own. And a big part of it for me was getting away from my parents. Um, and, and I know it's like, well, dude, you're 18. You can get away from your parents without having to work for the government. There are better ways. But, um, it, it was that, uh, I I was at boarding school already for, for four years of high school, because before that I was doing a week with one parent week with the other. And, uh, that's really a, a terrible way to live a terrible way. You know, I mean, I was just happy to get away from that, to go to boarding school. And then with the Marines, it was, it was sort of, you know, I stepping out on my own saying, you know, I, I'll, I can support myself. I can work for myself. I'll always have, you know, three hots and a cot waiting for me if I need it. it you know, I was a reservist cause I was, I was still planning on going to college, but uh, it, it meant a lot to me to be in the Marines first to fight, you know, to have my life on the line for something I believed in. But there was a, a sort of, I mean, everybody's got some personal motivation, right? Like uh, I can't, I can't say I joined the Marine Corps to get my teeth fixed. Cause I didn't really, I didn't really do a good job of getting dental work done while I was in the Marines. I should have gotten more uh, while it was free. But um, you know, for me, there was there was something about the independence of it, uh, of of really saying, you know, like I'm I'll never, um, I'll I'll never need my parents. Which it it's funny because I've I've come to decide, uh, I guess maybe maybe slowly
1: the hard way that. I'd I'd much rather depend on my
0: parents than government.
1: Why would you rather depend on your parents than depend on the government?
0: Well, what is government? You know, I I, I do a lot of man on the street videos where I ask people this question, and, and it's a big part of my YouTube channel. I'm looking getting uh, back into that pretty soon here with Adam versus the Man, and and I do a kind of uh, Socratic dialogue with with a stick microphone on the street, just
1: interviewing strangers. And when you ask people, what is a Socratic method so our listeners know?
0: Sure. no, That's, that's a great question. I'm glad you stopped me there um, because Socrates is, is the, the famous philosopher who this method is named for. And it's a, a way of asking questions that gets people to come to the logical conclusion that you want them to come to because you've already gone through it yourself. And when they think through it themselves, they're much more likely to accept the answer uh, than, than if, if you just tell them the answer. So, like, if I tell you, um, you know, that, that the military is an um, in, in un-American institution and fundamentally anti-freedom, I, I could tell you that, and then we could argue about it, but instead, if I said, hey, so what's the difference between a military and a militia? Hey, what did the founders have to say about a standing army? Oh, you don't know? Well, I can tell you. So why would they say that they would prefer a militia defense? Why, why did they say that militaries defend government and militias defend three people? why is it that you're 50 times more likely to be killed by a cop than by a terrorist? Why is it that we're told in school wars are fought between countries when the reality is that wars are conducted by governments using violence to expand their protection rackets? And, and then you can, you can ask and you can, you know, the, the bigger question when they've already come to all the, the premises and come to agree with you and you go like, well, does government protect you from terrorism? Okay. So if it does, is it worth it? Well, well, if you're 50 times more likely to be killed by a cop than by a terrorist, maybe we're not getting a good meet deal here. Maybe there's a better way, you know. And and so if the conclusion I want you to come to is that, you know, government is a bigger threat than terrorism, you know, all I have to do is ask: What was the last time uh, a terrorist took 30 percent out of your paycheck? What was the last time a terrorist pulled you over for
1: some bullshit? And then people go, Oh, dang. You know, and, and some, In nature, don't animals use violence to define boundaries with one another?
0: I'm glad that you brought up the the animal kingdom as a as a as a counterpoint here as a reference. But you got to let me go back if you don't mind to to, to answer this question: What is government? Because when you ask people, they often say things about it. They'll describe it, but they can't define it. So you, you've been to a government school for, for, what, 12 years? And you can't give me a definition of government that says what it is and what it isn't. You know, give me a clear delineation. Of what it is.
1: Well, we all know that the word government really means the governance of the mind, meant government. There's
0: that, there's that interpretation, the, the, the mind control aspect of it. And that's an important part of it. The definition, though, you need to have something that says what is and what isn't, because there's lots of things that do mind control that aren't government. There are lots of, you know, pe- way, people manipulate you all sorts of ways. But government is a territorial institution that claims within its boundaries, within its territory, to have a monopoly on the initiation of force. So government will say, don't steal, don't kill, but if we do it, it's okay if it's in this area, if we have the sovereign authority to do so. And when you realize what government is, you go, wow, it's, it's fundamentally violent. It's backed, everything it does is backed up either by force, coercion, that is the, the threat of violence, or an illegitimate property rights claim you know we claim to own all this territory and we own all of you citizens and you pay property taxes rent and and you know there's there's one of one or two of those things so i i i've never said violence is always bad I, uh, violence might always be a you know depending on how you define it and i'm not really picky about a definition of violence i mean using physical force from one thing to another. But, you know, people use it. That was a violent avalanche or a violent earth. So it's one of these terms that you really have to define in conversation how you're using it. So let's just say for the sake of this conversation around government, violence is uh, a force used it from one human being against another that violates their self-ownership. That is, you own yourself. This is the foundation of ethics that I and, and, and most libertarians rely on, that defines the non-aggression principle. So to, to, go, to, to get to your actual exciting question here about the animal kingdom, I, I think about it with dogs. Like I own a dog, and and waking up to this philosophy changed my relationship with my dog. I, I don't consider myself the owner of my dog anymore because it's an independent sentient being it can express he Blue, my my best friend he can express self-ownership so i I try to respect that as much as i can as a custodian or a guardian of him and you know uh animals dogs especially and, and and we know this from caesar milan right you know it's you know, and, and, and there's, there, there, there's this attack video on YouTube, like Caesar Milan kicks dogs and he's like, kicking them with his foot like sideways gently to like to communicate with them. So similarly, if you wanna go to like this silly extreme with this, with, with, with human beings, you know, if, if I tap you on the shoulder to get your attention, I'm, I'm violating your personal space. I'm violating your cell phone. I'm touching you without permission. But in most situations, we accept that that is a normal means of communication among humans. That how that would you it,
1: remedy an act of passive violence like fraud without using violence in a group of people?
0: Well, you can. I mean, this is this is where I'd, I'd rather not use the word violence. I think that's fraud. We 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 as libertarians, we often say we want to, to get rid of force and fraud and coercion is, is like the three things force and, and and coercion kind of the same thing because a co- uh, coercion is, is is the threat of force but fraud is, is included very very deliberately because if i you know if, if if i if i lie to you and as a result of that lie i am depriving you of your property your self-ownership you know then then i'm causing damage i'm i'm violating your self-ownership so how would it be be remedied well this is about taking responsibility right so when you say how would you remedy that that's a huge question and 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 sometimes the question would be asked you know hey adam without without courts and police and judges and pol, yeah without politicians writing laws how do you deal with bad actors? And what's really important to point out here is that government's delivery of justice services is, creates a far greater injustice than it addresses. There are some things that government does, catching murderers or people who are guilty of a violent assault and, and forcibly removing them from society. It's a legitimate, important service. But that's a, a tiny, tiny, tiny part of what it achieves. So what is it that, that keeps people well behaved? I mean, you didn't go out and murder a bunch of people today. Uh, why why not? Because, you know, I mean you're you're a smart dude, right? If you wanted to get away with murder, you could. Like well, most how would and this you is, deal with this is mentally a scary- Ill
1: people in an ethical society. Their violence is not tethered to ethics.
0: I mean, that's that's a different point. And What we can do as as a society to come together and deal with mental illness and deal with real threats is going to be so much better and so much more efficient when we get government out of the way. So I'd like to see government taken down to the community level. And as you do that, you lose layers of corruption. You know, you get rid of the federal government, you lose the drug war. It's pretty much over. Very few state governments are going to recreate the drug war. You, you know, all the regulatory crap, all of those violations, those all go away. You get down to the community level and you still have the same resources going to public safety. But now you're not enforcing all this
1: bullshit. Then you can focus on the real problems. And, and I, I th- In this ideal society that you speak of. How would you prevent certain groups from ganging up on other groups or weaker groups? How would you do that? Aren't we back in square one creating a government that protects everybody?
0: That's a really good question. And sometimes it's asked in a a slightly different way, like, hey, Adam, if we got to your ideal society, if we got government down to the community level and people were free to associate with whomever they wanted, people were able to form alliances at the global scale without government interference on, you know, certain, certain things, then we could have way better mechanisms of, of dealing with this. And they would, the question is, well, Adam, what if, what if someone then decides to start a government? What if someone says, Hey, let's go back. Let's do that. And, and, and the thing is, You look at the course of human history, you look at the course of progress, we have, human violence is on the decline over time. It's almost like a radioactive decay curve. It's a very beautiful thing. Uh, Professor Tinker, Harvard professor, proved this part of of his theory, at least, beyond, you know, any shadow of a doubt academically, that, that violence is on the decline, and Freedom is what you have when no one is forcing their will on you. If someone is is murdering you, they are governing the hell out of you. They are saying, I own you, I control you, I'm going to end your life. That's governing you to death, you know. So in order for this step backwards to happen, someone's going to have to get up and say, hey, remember when we had government and taxes and wars and the police state? And remember how awesome that was? Let's do that again. So I don't. See that as very realistic, that someone's going to be able to do that. I have that much confidence in the benefits of freedom that that as we achieve a, a more peaceful, more harmonious, more free society and, and more free world, that the ability of people to say, let's do this government thing is going to go way down. And, and I, I love how you phrased that question because you said. What, what would prevent a bunch of groups from ganging up and exploiting other groups? And you go, you mean like the United States of America? You know, what we have, to. if you're worried about people banding together to exploit others, government is the biggest tool of that. The, the more that we can get away from that, the, the less exploitation there will be of, of any kind.
1: Well, over the years, has government become bigger or smaller, in your opinion?
0: There are different ways of, of describing that. By, by most metrics, clearly larger. Um, but I would want to point out something, since you bring it up in those terms, that if you ask a libertarian, is big government always worse than small government? Most of us will say yes, but it's kind of a trick question. And I can prove that it's not always the case with a really quick thought exercise Would you rather live in a country where government is huge, like it's over half the population, but it really only does things that are legitimate services? It doesn't really violate individual rights. It has a territorial monopoly, but it uses just enough force to maintain that monopoly and the business advantages to be able to employ so many people. But it's very peaceful, and people are, are generally content with it. Or would you rather live in a society where government is tiny, but murders every firstborn child? Yeah, you know that. Yeah, that kind of makes, yeah. Well, that's it. Kind of makes the point with the sledgehammer, right? That the measure of evil of government is not how big it is, but how much it violently forces us away. From whatever our natural state of harmony would be. So if, if you have a, like this is why to me you know some people call me an anarchist uh, or an anarcho capitalist and and I don't uh, I don't mind that label but it it really has to be explained because I'm not for anarchy in the sense of chaos I'm for anarchy in the sense of no rulers I'm not for anarchy in the sense of no government even just if you're going to have government. It has to be voluntary. it has to be in line with you know anarchist ethics of you own yourself. nobody can impose their their rulership over you.
1: Well, using uh, Stephen Pinker's talk uh, for this case. Um he said we live in a much more peaceful and safer society. And if you've readily admitted that government has become bigger over time, wouldn't we draw a correlation between those th- two things? In other words, uh, the larger government gets, the more peaceful society
0: becomes. Right. Well, he, makes, he actually does that and goes even a step further than, than, than you
1: say as a, as a correlation.
0: He really gives government credit in, in one of his, his explanations of, of the decline in violence. And I would just say there's, there's another explanation. If you just step back and see how that was achieved, that, it was, that, that there were certain trends with government that affected that, obviously. But his biggest trend that he points to is the decline in likelihood of dying as a result of war. If war is the measure of how bad a government, how violent, how much it takes us off our state of natural harmony, that's the worst it can do. This decline in violence, in and of itself as a measure of war deaths is a decline in government. So while you can say that government has grown and that certain institutions, and and, and this is kind of dangerously playing into the myth that we need government police, we need government courts, we need a government legal system in order to have justice. And you could say that because government has taken control of that function, as technology has gotten better, government has gotten better at fighting crime. It's gotten so good that it's even fighting things that aren't crimes, as in you, you're right. But that you say that just the technology of accountability, of communication, of the extra resources in in society to go after real criminals, that that is what has allowed us to, to have this great decline in violence. And government is kind of just taking credit for it because it's had a monopoly on those institutions. But one of the points you cut me off from this a little bit earlier, I was I was getting at in terms of, you know, why didn't you go out and murder a bunch of people today? You know, it wasn't because government might get you in trouble. And, and the point here is that we live in a society of relative peace and harmony. Most people live ethical lives. We don't go around forcing our will on each other. And what stops us from doing that when there's the temptation is not, oh, government's gonna catch me, I'm gonna get in trouble. It, it's the wrong thing to do, and I'm not gonna be as accepted in my community if I do the wrong thing. I, my, and this is like just a matter of reputation and capitalism. If, if, if I screw you over in enough business deals, you're gonna say, hey, don't do business with Adam, and maybe you'll post the Yelp review or you know, something like that, and and my reputation goes down. That is a way bigger determinant of human behavior than than even the, the threat of violence from government. Like if you do bad, we're gonna punish you.
1: Well, Adam, globally speaking, we already live in communities that are driven by their own ethical standards. And although they're very diverse, they still use the universal language of violence uh, to bolster their control over society and create harmony. I mean, that would be their case.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the case over most of the world today. Um, and and it, it, it's kind of sad when you point it out in these terms, but we live in, you know, everybody in, on Earth practically, with, with a few, you know, very, very small exceptions, lives under a government. And those governments are the product of the paradigm in that society. I think it's more accurate to say, perhaps, that they're uh, a measure of tolerance for oppression, so to speak, than, than people really want this. But you know, some countries have monarchies, some have dictatorships, some have constitutional republics, some have parliamentary systems. So we all have these different systems of violence. These are unethical systems, by the way. I'm not endorsing these systems. A democracy is the majority forcing its will on the minority. If the minority doesn't have the right to opt out, that's not an ethical voting system. So we have, even today, systems of ethics that are different, and more or less, countries get along. Trade exists between nations. And it's because the people won't put up with war in the age of the internet. You can't lie to us and say, yeah, those people over there in, with that government, they want you all dead. Well, let me get one of them on Skype. Let me go look at their YouTube channels. Let me go, wait, no, you're full of shit. We, we want to be friends. We want to trade. So part of localizing government is a greater embracing of that ethical standard. So you could say that human progress has been progressing towards a, a, a an embodiment of this concept of universal ethic, And so where we are today, if you look at the world as a patchwork of places where they have different standards, like in China, communist ethics, essentially, and and most people in China, from what I understand, aren't on board with everything the system does, but they generally accept that it's okay to use government violence for a reputation system. Or, or various you know, communist economic controls or the one-child policy. Whereas in the United States, I would say on, on that count, we have a way higher standard of ethics. You can have as many kids as you want. As long as you're supporting them, we're not going to take them away. As long as you're not abusing them, we're not going to get in your way as a parent. Whereas in China, they say, nope, one child, that's it, that's all you can have. I don't think that, that's ethical. But what the worst we have for, for war between... US and China is the trade war, which obviously is not a war at all. It's, a, it, it's governments using each other as
1: the excuse to steal from their own citizens. Should a person born in America have the right to negate their citizenship and move to another country by a certain age? For example, yeah. by the time you reach 18 years old, uh, you're, you're given the decision, do you want to be an American or do you want to leave?
0: Oh, absolutely. First of all, freedom of movement should only be restricted by private property. But, but I would go further than that and to say, leave that country. They should be able to stay in that country and assert their sovereignty. You know, like I own 10 acres in, in northern Arizona. And I should have the right to say, hey, uh, I'm going to make my own rules over here and I'm not going to pay your property taxes. And if it happens on my land, it's my business and it's none of your business. I can't say that in this country. I still, if I don't pay my property tax, the government will steal the land from me. They will actually come and violently remove me from that land, if I'm, even if I'm living on it. That's, that's the sad reality of, of an unethical thing that, that we've accepted right now. So I would say that any property owner or anybody who's claiming uh, unused property can say, we are creating a new sovereign entity, we're creating a new community based on our own standards and values.
1: What do you say to those people who say, if you don't like the country, simply move somewhere else?
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really important point that when we get to a more decentralized government system, that voting with your feet is going to be a lot more relevant. Uh, and, and even today, you know, we see a lot of people who wake up to libertarians and, and move outside of the country. I mean, you can go uh, live in Mexico or Thailand like a king on the same salary that you might get here you know, if you're working from home. And for the people for whom that's the right thing, you know, I, I, I support that. It, it's not the right thing for me because I love America too much. And I and don't mean like just a, you know, a political, you know, throwaway. I choose to live here. Um, I, I mean, I could, I could leave and make passive income making YouTube videos or trading cryptocurrencies, you know, and, and, and live, live anywhere in the world and, and be, be and, and in some senses a lot more free. But there are ways that we are free here in the United States that are unique, um, you know. And, and I'm a felon, so it's kind of ironic for me pointing out the right to bear arms because I don't have it in Arizona.
1: Oh, is that felony connected to that uh, Civil Disobedience Act in Washington D.C.? Yeah. Where you pumped a shotgun yeah. in the middle of the city, and how long were you in jail for?
0: Four months. But hey, let me just let me just let me just blow some smoke up up, up America's butt for a few more seconds here and finish my political grandstanding. No, there there is something though about uh, where I live in Arizona and and the cities that I'm in in the middle of all throughout the Southwest that I absolutely love. There's one other big thing that that keeps me in America. And it's not, I mean, aside from the land and, and the people and the general spirit of this country that I love, but that America is something that belongs to humanity as a whole America is not an idea just for people who were born within these borders or who got you know the government approval you're a citizen you you, you have the special right no it, it, it's not that it, it's that the American Revolution the, the the Revolutionary War that and I'm not gonna say we because I wasn't there I'm not gonna try to you know take credit like statism makes you take credit for stuff you had nothing to do with and hate people you've never met. But I really see that the, the Revolutionary War was such a critical advancement in, in human history of, of an overthrowing of a monarchy and, and the, the biggest empire that the world had ever seen at the time. It's such a sad, twisted perversion of, of what we started with that now America, the federal government has become, again, the biggest empire the world has ever seen. And to me, the great heritage of America that belongs to humanity is this great tradition of overthrowing the biggest empire in the world. And now, it's us, you know, I, 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 I'm very careful with that language, but yes, it's us, it's us, it's, it's, it's the American people, the Amer- America, the country has become the seat of the government. That is now the biggest empire the world has ever known. And I, I will not run. I will stand and fight. And there is something that, that I take as my most sacred privilege as an American citizen is to say, fuck you to the government. And we're not going to put up with this shit anymore. And so um, that, that's a big part of my campaign. And if, if it wasn't clear enough from before, my dissolving the federal government in a peaceful, orderly, responsible manner that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. I think that would be a good first step. And that would be the continuation of the American Revolution. I, I would call it more of an evolution than a revolution. But I, I, if America is the idea of freedom, I am the biggest imperialist you will ever meet. I want America to To take over the world by peace and persuasion and free trade and love and and reaching out to our fellow human beings and showing them that the ideals of freedom this country were founded on speak to to the core of what it means to be a human being and really apply to everybody on earth equally because we all have that inherent right to self-ownership.
1: Do you think blockchain social media apps are the key to create free societies all over the world? Is it the key? It is one tool uh i'm a big fan
0: of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in general so don't get me wrong here i'm not trying to, to downplay it at all but I, I remember i mean i've I've been in the game of, of independent media in, in, in one form or another um you know well really full-time activism since 2007 most of that time doing media stuff i remember diaspora you know you know I remember steam it, I remember you know all these different efforts to create a, a, you know there's an alternative to Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case may be and I, I'll present my answer to your question with a, with a comparison to the political system. People think that libertarians will never win an election, but we will still achieve all of our policy we will still win. In, in the more important sense of bending the world to our vision. And that it might be that you've got, you know, Democrats and Republicans, and now Republicans are, are anti-war, and, and now Democrats are, are not so anti-gun, and and maybe now they're, they're both fiscally conservative, and now they're both ready to end the drug war. And we're just going to keep libertarians out because they're not corrupt. They're not selling their policies. They're, they're going by ethical principles. We're corrupt. We want to sell, we want to auction to the highest bidder all of our legislative abilities to, to, to tilt the playing field for your interest, whatever the case may be. And, and they might be able to maintain that and never give it up. And we get to government being so small that the Libertarian Party just goes, all right, forget it. You know, we're, we're good here. We're just, we're just the assholes in the corner yelling, you guys are wrong. And it's like, you know, who cares? It's so irrelevant in our lives. That I, like it, it might happen that way and I'm, I'm okay with that I'm of the belief from looking at this decay curve of violence that that's going to continue there's there's nothing even in Pinker's theory that would say that that trend is going to reverse somehow that's going to continue to me that eventually that we get to a voluntary society so your question is blockchain social media uh, essential it, it could be that you know, Facebook is dragged kicking and screaming to, you know, up to a higher level of integrity and that we just kind of go with that first or mar- well, second to market advantage that it has. And kind of just, okay, well, that's all we need. And, and maybe, maybe Facebook becomes decentralized itself. Maybe there's, I, I think there's going to be an app. So personally, if I had to guess, I would say, yes, we're going to get blockchain, social media, but it's not necessarily essential to this process. I want a step where I can like log in to super Facebook, and it's like Facebook but no ads and with a chronological feed. And maybe if you have that, we, maybe we kill Facebook extremely slowly by just taking away all their ad revenue because nobody clicks on or sees you know, Facebook ads anymore. Uh, same thing with YouTube and, and, and Twitter. They all depend on, on, on advertising revenue. And, and when that, I don't want to say if, it's, it's a matter of when, you know, when we have the ad blocking app, I don't want to say technology because we have the technology, it's a matter of time and coding. We get it done, getting that corruption of social media out of the way, you know, it is it, not going to be the biggest problem. Facebook and YouTube already, as, and, and I, I mean, I just got demonetized on my channel. I've had videos pulled, I've had posts. I've been banned, I've been blocked I've been shadow banned, I've had posts manipulated, you can see my view count graph from the last year, there's all, like, when I've just been very consistently not posting much, sudden spikes and then drops where it's like, did your filter break, you know I, despite all of those problems what, what those two giants have done um, and I mean, you could say Google because they own YouTube now, which is a disgusting side effect of corporatism and intellectual property. But what they have represented for humanity is in terms of access to information and connectedness is so, so positive compared to not having those platforms that, that the, the, the negative side effects as, as disgusting and evil as they are, are, are insignificant compared to just the huge benefit for humanity, from from having that technology
1: available. What was a defining moment that cemented your worldview?
0: I I, I wish you know, and I should probably make up a story like, that. so I can say you know, make it make it so I could I could say on political stump speeches. Well, when I was carrying that dying marine into the med tent, I realized it was all this, and then you uh, um, no, no, because it's, it's, it's not like that. And it's really important to recognize that it, while epiphanies happen, that's not how worldviews are formed or developed. And, you know, I, I, there was a big part of my experience in the military that's led me to be against militarism itself now. But I didn't even realize that while I was in. It, 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 your worldview... Changes through reflection and analysis and and quiet contemplation and going through the Socratic dialogue method for yourself. I'll I'll use one analogy here that I think really helps understand this particular shift in your worldview from statism to freedom. And it's that people used to think that the the earth was flat and and the center of the universe, and then someone said, no, maybe it's it's round and it's not the center of the universe. And people who had been in astronomy in the flat Earth era, you know, they they came up with all these equations to explain the movements of celestial bodies and stars and planets around Earth. And, And they had to make it really complicated. And then someone said, no, maybe earth is is round and it's not the center of the universe and it goes around the sun and it follows an ellipsis kind of pattern and and all these ellipses explain and now your equations are really simple you don't have to do all this fancy math and it was like well but we did all this fancy math for a reason we can't just give it up you know and and it's the same thing
1: wait are you a flat earther no
0: no 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 the modern flat earth movement is not a thing it's not a It's not real. It's just a bunch of trolls. And the moment you win, you lose, because we, now we're talking about. No. But, the, yeah, the, I, you, you have to mention that, right? The, the math is so much simpler when you go, no, freedom. No, ethics. No, people own themselves. No, violence is an initiation of force. The, the, the starting of violence is always wrong. It's always not, you know, I mean, it's. With the exceptions of like the Heimlich maneuver and tapping someone on the shoulder. No, human relationships that are voluntary always lead to more happiness than human relationships that involve coercion, where there's a winner and a loser. Otherwise, it's win win. Let's go with win win. And we have all these excuses. Well, if enough people vote on it and if we have a representative democracy, then taxation, if it's used, for things that benefit society, that, that you know we've determined through this very complicated system are in the best interest of society, and it's okay for this, and it's a good outcome here, and we wrote a law, and we followed the Constitution, that it must be okay. And it's like, no, no, ethics, don't hurt, you know, don't hit, don't steal, don't kill. They still apply to government agents for the exact same reasons they apply to you as an individual. And no matter how complicated your math is, no matter how fancy your excuse is, you're just coming up with an excuse for violence or coercion, and that is holding humanity back. And you go, no, freedom, it's really simple. It's really way easier to understand all those complicated excuses go out the window. And that happens more in, in quiet contemplation than it does in, in argument. You know, I, I've, I've traveled the country a number of times and, and everywhere I go, I, you know, I talk to, 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 to regular people, but I talk to my people too. And, and I ask a lot of them, you know, how did you become a libertarian? How did you, and I like to say, everybody's a libertarian, they just don't know it yet. You know, in the sense that everybody wants to be good. Everybody wants to be ethical. Everybody wants their freedom respected. So, you know, when did you realize that you were a libertarian or how did you become a libertarian? And I've never heard anyone say, well, there was this guy at the bar yelling at me. And he after a few minutes, he got really angry and he yelled a little bit louder. And it was just loud enough for me to realize that he was right about everything. And then I just thought I was like, no, that's not it.
1: What do you think of Stefan Molyneux's abandonment of anarcho-capitalism and his new adoption of Trumpism? I think
0: that's very, that's very sad and disappointing. And I think he's been responsible for a lot of people waking up and then led them down uh, a very dangerous and impractical path. Um, but if I may, before you go on to the next question there, because we could talk about Stefan Molyneux for a long time, he was pretty influential to me at, at very, on, on various subjects. Um, although I'd already become an, you know, an ANCAP when, when I came across his work. But you know we're friends, we've, we've interviewed each other a few times, and, and I, I even even as a Trump supporter, I still uh, respect and appreciate his voice in the conversation. I'd rather have him there than not. But what I was getting at with, with your last question, I have to turn it into a shameless plug, because most people say that, that they woke up or became libertarians involves a book. It involves some kind of quiet contemplation, uh, reconsideration of their worldview. And this book I wrote, I started writing when I was in jail uh, for that four month stint in D.C. And people sent me all the best books on libertarian philosophy and politics and ethics and all of that. And, and I realized that there was a sort of body of knowledge that that was that that was my message that I was trying to get out that was what I thought the most important collection of of these ideas and what what woke me up what was important to me I wanted to share with other people so I decided that I would be the best rip-off artist the freedom movement has ever known and I took all the good ideas and none of the bad ones all the good features of these books and none of the bad ones and, and boiled it all down to 100 pages. It's a short read. at the free audiobook. free at thefreedomline.com in every format possible. Audiobook, PDF, uh, Kindle, whatever e-reader version you want, it's there. Um, so check it out. You can get it on Amazon. Very cheap. We, we sell these as cheap as we can because I just want to get the message out. Um, we give these away at events everywhere, everywhere that I can. And Uh, We've got over a quarter million copies in circulation now, uh, over three million downloads, so pretty successful as far as self-published books go. And the thing is is that there are no specifics in here in terms of examples. Uh, Government's not wrong because your neighbor's baby got a smoke grenade thrown in your window. No, government is wrong because you know it's wrong, because you can... You have all the data you already need. So this book is written in such a way that it's applicable for everyone on earth living under a government today. It And, and it, it will be, it, it's, I don't want to say it's timeless because it, hopefully it's only good for another decade or so. But as long as government exists, uh, as we know it today, it, it will be relevant. And it's been an incredible tool for waking people up. So there there are probably people listening right now watching this interview going okay well that sounds good okay that sounds good well that sounds but no but no government or only voluntary government or we have to localize it really down to the community like that that's a lot you know and and it's really easy to say hey that sounds good hey yeah it'd be nice if we could make that happen but what i want people to get that they will probably never get from listening to you and me Is a real understanding of this for themselves, and this goes back to the idea of the Socratic dialogue.
1: Do you think DMT helped you with those reflections and those understandings?
0: Oh, absolutely! I think DMT, uh, ayahuasca, five meo, the various derivatives, the psychedelic. You know, by the way, decrim for mushrooms just happened in Denver County. This is like—I mean—cannabis legalization was like a protective shield over government and you know over the drug war, the damn world of the drug war. And now there's a hole in it. And it's about to blow open wide. You know, the benefit of cannabis legalization, decrim, whatever it is, it's not so that people like me can get stoned whenever we feel like it. We were kind of already there. It's not acceptable enough so that the, the people who wanted to lock you up for smoking it will smoke it. Cause they saw that it's not a big deal. They said It's a mild drug. I mean, you most, I, I like to use the word drug inclusively. Caffeine's a drug, nicotine's a drug, alcohol. THC is a drug, you know, DMT is a drug. These are substances that you deliberately ingest to, to alter your mental state. Um, so cannabis is, an, is, is a very mild drug that reduces the anxiety, that increases harmony, that makes you more peaceful and easier to get along with for most people, right? You know, 99% of people have that just general positive response to it. And it's the asshole say, you should go to jail for smoking this plant, who are the ones who really need to smoke it? And and it's going to be a while before we get to that point. But now, mushrooms being decrim in Denver, you know, big shout out to Kevin Matthews, friend, army veteran. Uh, for for making that happen, he really led that that effort there. Uh, now he's working to take that national. When people get that that kind of therapy, uh, what they get, well, if I would if, if if I could just turn to chapter nine of, of, of the book Freedom um, about true, it's called true personal freedom. Uh, the, the the sections in that are called uh, emotional slavery health freedom, work freedom, and happiness causes freedom. You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness kind of has it backward. Uh, I mean, yes, if you don't have life, you can't pursue anything, you can't be happy. But it suggests that happiness is this external thing that you go and beat over the head with a club and drag home to your cave to enjoy. And it's like, no, 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 no. Happiness is a choice that you make in the moment. That's, that's emotional freedom. You know, we're, we're animals, you know, and, and I'm not trying to deny the biological nature of our brains and our bodies and our emotion. We have emotional reactions to things and that's okay. But you have a conscience in here. You have a higher mind. You have an ego and a superego and you have the, the, the capability of saying, okay, so I reacted that way. What's my reaction to the reaction going to be? Okay, that's for, I'm in pain. Okay, but I can be happy in pain physically knowing, hey, I can
1: deal with this. We all know that you're running for president for 2020. What is your presidential campaign message?
0: My campaign message is that you have to be some kind of psychopath to want to be president of the United States, to have that unjustified power over other human beings. It, there, There has to be some... A, a sickness of ego or absurdity so and hubris. This. Are you a fan think, of
1: Donald Trump yes or no?
0: No. I, I'm a fan of certain... I, I'm a fan of the, his, his eyelid skin tone. Um, I'm kind of a fan of his hair. Um, I, I'm a fan of certain things that he does. Uh, you know, I, I, I like certain things in his messaging, but he's still fundamentally the guy saying, I can be president of the United States. Um, there are a lot of people who look at me and go, well, you were a sergeant in the Marines. Well, you've got, you know, a hundred million views on YouTube, you know, how the heck does that qualify you to be president? How do you think you can run the whole country or run the whole government? And it's like, no, I can't. That's the point. And neither can you, and neither can any of these other assholes who think that they know better than you how to run your life. So this started for me when I was asked at Bilderberg by Jason Burmish, the original info warrior back in 2012 he was like oh yeah well what would you do if you were president and my first response was like <laughs> what would yeah, this 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 7 years ago I'm 7 years less mature than I am now but you know I I had to come up with a serious answer and the serious answer was quit go home and get a real job what do you mean I be I don't want to be president Well, what I do, I would dissolve the federal government in its entirety. I would throw the ring in the fire. Your way of thinking
1: is very similar to Ron Paul. Do you like him still?
0: Same ethical foundation. When I interviewed him, I asked him, you've described yourself as a voluntarist. What does it mean to you? And he said, yes, I I want for all human relationships to be voluntary. And I think he's actually evolved from. I heard him give a speech recently where I said we want to get government down to zero. It was like, whoa, you're an anarchist now, uh, not a constitutionalist, because I don't think Ron Paul was ever really a constitutionalist as much as he was a voluntarist. And there are a lot of libertarians who are fans of the Constitution, but we should be better fans of the Articles of Confederation that came before that. But we don't say that the Constitution is the be-all end-all but it could be used as a stepping stone to get government to a more ethical point. I disagree tactically. And I think Dr. Paul himself is starting to see that like, Hey, let's get the entire country to dial government back to here, not here, not here, not here, right here on the, let's get the entire country on the same page to agree on this. That's not realistic as much as that might be a great idea it's way more realistic to say, look, you're not going to have the same values as I am on everything. You're not going to agree with everybody on everything. The idea that we're going to force you into a system based on a one-size-fits-all solution is absurd. I want you and your community and for yourself to have the freedom to create the society that you want based on your values. And, and that's, again, the everybody-gets-what-they-want strategy. And I think more and more libertarians are realizing that we should be, in a sense, more ideologue when it comes to the core principles of ethics, less ideologue when it comes to the politics of this issue, this issue, this issue, because that's just playing their game. And and, and if I may go to the extremes here for just a second, I'm, I'm part Jewish, I'm, I'm you know more than half. And the idea of of white nationalism is particularly scary and
1: and disgusting. Where can people find more information about your book and yourself?
0: Thefreedomline.com. That's it. And hey, before I sign off, let me say, if you got to this point in the interview, I know you appreciate independent media. Please share this video. Share this interview. Share this platform. Help Evan on his quest to have his voice heard. In independent media because he's not selling you soap, he's not selling you cars and other bullshit or political ads that are going to make him money. He relies on the audience on the internet as, as as I do to be active and engaged in promoting independent media. So if you like this, if this represents you, share it, support him, and whatever independent media you're uh, you're into, be be an active participant. That
1: way. okay, we'll leave it there. But thank you for being on the show, Adam Kokesh.